0: Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I am joined here by... Sidekick Tom. Hey, Deacon Jeff. How you doing? Great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. I just love the Christmas season, and we're still in the Christmas season. We and are. you know what? We have... You know one of my favorite stories? Christmas uh, time. It's a Wonderful Life. Well, that's a that's good one. That's your favorite movie. Yeah, but that's got... Yeah. Yeah, that does have a a, a a grumpy old guy in it, but who's it a does. bad guy who stays bad. But I want to talk about A Christmas Carol. Okay. I Scourge. love... I, yeah, I love that. And what do we... When we talk about Scrooge, we think about him as, yeah. the, uh, as this, this old curmudgeon. Exactly. Right? And we think about all the horrible things he's done. and everyone Mean man. People still call each other, you're such a Scrooge. That's exactly right. But what's interesting is he was a man, if you look at the best part of the story, it's when. It's the end, right? Right. It's the conversion. That's right. Well, you know what? We have here a guest who's dressed like Ebenezer Scrooge. Good stuff. He's got the top hat. Getting he's got, a lot got of the stairs barrister's today. cane. Yeah. You know, he's got the the overcoat. He looks good. And it's Robert Hut, and Robert's been with us a couple times. Robert, well, welcome to the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe.
0: Merry Christmas, Deacon Jeff.
1: Oh, Merry Christmas to you as well, <laughs> Robert. And, and so you look so festive there with your top hat. Uh, So we're talking about a Christmas carol. Well, I do. And I wore it, actually,
0: Deacon, for a point because I love that story because it's one of the greatest stories of conversion that everybody knows. We have this man that is mean. He doesn't care about people. He's stingy. He's greedy. And lo and behold, God reaches out to him through these three ghosts and to a person that had died that was unrepentant to warn him. And he
1: totally changes his life. Yeah, Yeah, it's a beautiful story, and and in fact, that's the best part. But again, don't people go through the world, you know, constantly? They're calling each other Scrooges if they if they're if they're they're miserly or they are or mean to other people or or they don't seem to have the Christmas spirit, as it were.
0: Well, I think (laughs) that part of the human nature is we always tend to view people in the worst terms. You know, we always tend to think about the worst things people ever did. And the beauty about that story, because we're all to some degree like Ebenezer Scrooge. There's something imperfect in all of us. There's something in all of us that's selfish, self-oriented, that needs conversion. And the second thing about that story that I love at this Christmas time is that God loves even the most hardened sinner. I mean, think about it. The beauty of that story is you have this wicked man, but God cared enough about him to reach out to him through others, through Jacob Marley, his partner, through these, quote, ghosts, which are, you know, obviously, this is a story, right. but to remind a person about what really, truly is important in this life.
1: And that's a beautiful part of that story. And it gives, us, it gives us hope, right? Because you said there's a little Scrooge in all of us. There are times we all sin, and there are times of maybe we deserve to be called Scrooge. But maybe even now to look at it, we deserve to have the hope of Scrooge and that hope of conversion, even for the most hardened sinners you mentioned. Which and
0: leads us into our topic today. That's
1: exactly right. And, Robert, you've been with us before. Now, you've been uh, with us on our pilgrimages to Lourdes, which is great. It and is. And g-
0: actually, the, the cafe in Lourdes is much nicer, Deacon John. But that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. The coffee's better. Yeah, no. exactly. It's very, very the, nice. The, the a the cream French puffs, roast,
1: yeah. Yes, very nice. <laughs> but you've also done a show with us on the Catholic teaching on the death
0: penalty. That, that's right, Deacon. That's something that's very close to my heart. I've worked as a lawyer for over 20 years. Usually working with people in the last stages of their appeals and uh, the death penalty process in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, and so you've spent a lot of time. You've even argued in front of the Supreme Court uh, on this on this very issue. And so obviously you have a lot of credibility as a lawyer, right? But you're also a good Catholic man. Uh, happen to be dressed like Ebenezer Scrooge, but you you've got um, a great sense of of the Catholic teaching on the death penalty. But also now seeing this sort of uh, Scrooge like conversion and applying it to those hardened criminals. Help us with that. So let's, let's tie uh, a Christmas carol to, to Death Row. How can we do that?
0: Well, I think one thing you have to remember, Deacon Jeff, is most people that are in prison, particularly people that are in prison for very serious offenses, they tend to be isolated by their family. They tend to be put in prisons that are hours away from their families. And most people in Death Row, after three years, the family abandon them because they're embarrassed about having a Relative in that uh, situation. And,
1: in fact, I think so, all of us abandon them, right? Don't well, we, we? Many of us would just not want to think about once they're that we've seen them. We all pay attention to the trials. We all watch that, you know, and, and we wait on the verdict. And once that verdict is, you know, we, we put them in and we put them in prison and forget about them.
0: Well, we do, and because of that, a lawyer that works with people in death row tends to be more than just a professional relationship. Uh, it tends to be. The, you're typically the only person that they can call. I, I have something. You ought to see the phone bill from co- collect calls from death row. And a lot of these people are reaching mm-hmm. out for human contact. You know, one thing I've noticed, uh, and I'm not negating, a lot of people that are on death have done horrible things. Right. They have. Now, there are many excuses and reasons, and a lot of the um, – I always think of the, the uh, wording of St. Augustine there, but for the grace of God. When I see some mm-hmm. of the background of some of these people – I wonder whether I would be any different. And a lot of these are very broken people. Right, but, but,
1: you, aren't, but you aren't saying that, they're, that this, it's rampant with not guilty and everyone should be freed. I mean, you are realizing that, that there are so many men here that deserve, uh, well, th- they're, ju- they're, they're getting their just punishment or th- at least from the perspective of they're guilty. Uh, we can decide later what the punishment might be, but but there are a lot of guilty what, people You've you got
0: people across the board. You have people, obviously, that have actually committed heinous acts and did it. Um, you have people that... Have, there are people now that they've shown that never should have been right. on death row because they actually didn't do it through DNA evidence. And there are a lot of cases where there is no DNA evidence. There are cases about mental issues. A lot of these people are apparently right. mentally ill. And then, there, I mean, it runs the gambit. But really, the thing I think to talk about, it doesn't really matter. For our conversation today, let's assume a person that did it. And I've had several people on death row um, that were considered the worst of the worst by, by society. But, you know, the one thing is every human being responds to love. And I see as a lawyer, you know, you really can't separate your faith life from your work life. I mean, I can't take the Catholic out of me and be a lawyer when right. I work and be a Catholic at home. Everything I do or choose to do in my profession somehow is reflected by my faith. There's certain things I don't do as a lawyer. I would never represent an abortion clinic because that's inconsistent with my faith. Right. There's certain things that I think our faith calls us to do, which is to reach out and love with to everyone that we meet Mm -hmm. and i think what i want to uh i think it's important for us to talk about today is that you know in a lot of ways those on death row i think are much more open to the gospel than many of the people that i practice law with because many people on death row know that they're sinners they know deep down that they've done something wrong and the fact that god might love them and offer them a chance to be with him uh forever in union with him, despite what they've done, is good news. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember I had a client that died, uh, Deacon, uh, years ago. This was the first execution in the state of Tennessee after 40 years. Mm -hmm. And there was this um, man I'll never forget. He spent 20 years on death row. He was profoundly mentally ill. No question about that. He never would come out of his cell. He was an eight by 12 cell. And there was a wonderful deacon named Frank Bainbridge, who was a wonderful Catholic deacon in Nashville. And Frank had told me later. He went by and visited Ro- Robert's cell every week for 20 years. Most of the years, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. He ignored him, didn't want to talk to him. After about 15 years, uh, Frank was telling the story that he said, you know, uh, t- uh, went by one day, talked to Robert, said, God loves you. And the response was, how could God possibly love me? Mm. How could God possibly love me? And that
1: took fifteen years for mm-hmm. that to happen. It
0: did. And just casual and you know, the the thing is, what happened, this was a horrible offense. It was a it was a it was a horrible crime. And you had a person that was very mentally ill um, that committed it. But the interesting thing about Robert Glencoe is because of the love that people showed him in the last years of his life, whether it's people like that deacon that patiently uh, reached out to him, people like Father Bruce Neely, another priest who's been on our show before. Um, Robert Glencoe was baptized before his execution. And, you know, one of the last things that Robert, and there are several things that are interesting about that. First of all, after he was baptized, a lot of the mental illness issues got better, hmm. which is interesting. You know? And that was not consistent with his legal defense. I mean, oh. I can tell you that. The uh, the other thing is that um, after Robert's death, you know, before he died, one of the last things he said to me was, you know, I thank God for death row because had it not been for death row, I would have never come to know Christ. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Now, now see, here, but you can think about it. Here's a guy that's thanking God for being in an eight by 12 cell mm-hmm. for over 20 years.
1: Mm-hmm. That's that's just that's beautiful. Yep. And I guess we look at that and just like uh, like the Ebenezer Scrooge, what we'd, we'd so easily and so many people in that story write him off just avoid him stay away from him don't care about him you know and yet god does absolutely. right absolutely and then and we see robert glencoe who we've written off that we would all assume that you know he's going straight to hell there's just the there's that's just the that's the mm-hmm. teaching right well, and, it, and yet god wants that god wants everyone in heaven with him now i don't know that robert glencoe is in heaven
0: well, I tell you one thing we know about our Catholic teaching. He was baptized at the end, and what does our Catholic teaching tell? I mean, that's the mercy of God. Remember the yeah. story of the, the workers in the vineyard. Some are called in the morning. Mm-hmm. Some are called at noon. Some are called at three. Some come at five o'clock, right before closing time, and they all get the, the same, same wage. wage. Mm-hmm. And the people that worked all day say, "Well, how can you do that? That's not fair." The beauty that I see, and that's where this ties into the Scrooge story, is you have some people that have committed horribly bad acts. Now. I think a lot of that in a lot of these cases are is mitigated because of mental illness and other issues, but let's
1: th- 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 they're horrible bad acts but, right, you know, and I can fully understand why like the family against which they were committed would be right. upset would mm-hmm. would have problems with forgiveness, and I, I we're not discounting that it is, but the beauty is God acting
0: through others. In the Robert's case, it was the deacon that patiently visited every year. It's people like Father Bruce Neely. It's people that showed love and taught him about that God does love him. And no matter what you've done, there's something lovable that's within you. That brought about a conversion. You know, I remember Deacon leaving the execution, um, which is a very uh, was a tough experience for a lawyer that's doing that. But seeing there were people that were holding signs that said, go to hell, Robert Glencoe. Yeah. Well, the irony is, if you think about it, that is so contrary to our Christian faith. Now, we can get later into the debate about whether the death penalty is proper. and there's, I mean, people can have a disagreement of an opinion. The church has a, an opinion on that. But what I can understand is the desire for anyone not to have salvific grace. I mean, if you think about it, and, uh, and God doesn't desire that. God right. reaches out. What we see is that there's good in every person. Sometimes it is totally covered up uh, through sin, through uh, you know, drug use, through all kinds of issues that can make it very hard to reach out to. But every human being, by being, a, is a child of God and is capable of salvific grace. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, that that is our Catholic teaching. And
1: you know what? If you discount that at the very end, if you look at that those unfortunate situations where people are holding signs, right? When... when when they do that, then if you stop and think about it, it's like, well, they're, they're saying there's no hope.
0: That's right? right.
1: I mean, you're discounting hope at that point, and you're not trusting that God can convert even the most hardened sinner, that God really can reach in there and just and just totally transform a soul. And we're saying that's not possible right. if we're willing to, to you know cast someone into hell, as it were. If we don't believe
0: that as Christians, then we don't believe the fundamental economy of salvation. Then everyone, because probably in the eyes of God, there's a great line in in Scrooge where he says, in the eyes of heaven, this poor man's child, you are more worthless than this poor man's child. And, you know, even though I have never murdered anybody intentionally, I have murdered people with my tongue. I have, uh, in terms of talking about them, detracting from them. And I wonder in the eyes of, you know, in the eyes of heaven sometimes I may be more culpable for my sins than some of these people that are on death row so we all ought to hope that God's grace is there for all of us
1: amen now we got more to talk about we're going to hear a couple more great stories uh, about conversions on death row uh, with Robert Hutton we're going to do that right after we uh, take a little break before we do that I want to remind folks at home that we have a great website www.thecatholiccafe.com also I'd love to uh, hear from you send me an email deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com and so with that we'll be right back
2: I'm and this is another great moment in church history. Since the earliest days of the church, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has been a shining example of perfect Christianity and inspiration to believers throughout the world. After the course of her life here on earth was completed, Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. For nearly two millennia now, she has demonstrated her intense motherly love for us all and her willingness to intercede to Christ on our behalf, offering comfort to those plagued by pain and sorrow. Take the case of a young African girl born in the Darfur region of southern Sudan in the early 1800s. We don't know her real name because she was bought and sold so many times that even she did not know her true identity. Her Muslim captors, who kidnapped her at age seven, named her Baquita. After many torturous years in slavery, marked by hard labor, unspeakable brutality, and even human branding, Bakita ended up in the hands of an Italian gentleman in the Sudan who took her back as a slave to Italy. She served as a house mother to a girl who was being taught by nuns. As she interacted with the sisters and followed along with the child's schoolwork, she felt drawn to the Catholic faith. She found hope in the teachings of the Church, but as importantly, aid and comfort in the protective love of the Blessed Mother. Just a few years later, the Italian courts freed her. For the first time since age seven and after so many masters, the only master she would now serve was God. Paquita entered the Institute of St. Magdalene of Canossa, where she made her profession three years later. She took the name Josephine Paquita. She loved her faith and she flourished as a religious sister. She once said, Be good, love the Lord, pray for those who do not know Him. What a great grace it is to know God. Josephine always had a beautiful smile on her face, but inwardly she struggled with the scars of her captivity. On her deathbed, after so many dark and painful years as a slave, she started to let the chains of her memories drag her down. She pleaded with Mary for assistance. As she neared death, a great peace came over her, and she called out her final words, Our Lady, Our Lady. Her ensuing smile gave testimony that Mary did not abandon her in her final hour and would indeed lead her to the loving arms of her Savior. I'm Bess Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history.
1: Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm talking with Robert Hutton, uh, and we're talking about Ebenezer Scrooge, mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol. And a great death, man. That's right. And a great man. Exactly. <laughs> and so we're Probably talking. Probably a
0: saint. St. Ebenezer Scrooge. If, if it were, you know, obviously it's not a real person. But the way it's portrayed, right? That's how he would have. Uh, this would
1: have been sainthood. Exactly right. So you live this life and, and, and God, you know, it's amazing. God wants everyone in heaven. He desires. Right. we're all We're made to be in heaven. And it's our free choice. But we have this life to do something about it. Right. right, how it ends? Exactly right, and so and, and so. Once we're dead, we can't do anything about it. But while we're alive, this is our opportunity, and so we have to believe in the in that the power of conversion. We have to believe in in God's love being able to overcome any obstacle, including our own hardened hearts.
0: Right, that's what Christ Himself taught. Look at the good thief on the cross next to Christ. I mean, he was a thief said he deserved to die. His last words, with almost his last breath, were "Remember me when you." And, and Christ promised him that that day he would be with him in paradise. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that is called just making it. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> he got in under the wire.
0: But but the point is, that's a truth about ourselves that God loves us so much that even our dying breath, a repentance on our dying breath, is enough to bring us into communion with God.
1: Now, this is a perspective I think a lot of people don't have. That You've got a unique perspective. and One of the things I love about the fact that you're sharing this with us in the Luxurious Corner booth is because we don't often get to see this side of things, right? We, we assume that everyone on death row deserves to be there. And as you rightly point out, some do, some don't. Some have mental issues. And, and we can talk all day long about the right, proper way to deal with, uh, quote-unquote, that that situation, but but... Even if someone is the most hardened criminal on death row and by all, uh, you know, our societal standards deserves to be there, right? Society would put them there and say, you deserve to die for this crime. We always, as Catholics, we have to look at this, and I know it's tough for some people. It's hard for us to see that there is hope, that there always has to be that hope because if we – if we like put out the you know if we cover up the lamp you know with the bushel mm-hmm. basket we everyone loses hope. Mm-hmm. If there's no hope f- for this this hardened criminal, this terrible uh you know the 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 worst of the worst in society. If there's no hope there, then when we do those things deep in our heart that we know are wrong, uh we carry them to our our to the bitter end, to the grave, we we unforgiven. There's no hope for us. We have to we we have to be careful with uh taking hope away.
0: We we do, Deacon. I mean, I I think uh, there's a story I had a client I was very, very close to. His name was Michael. Loved him to death. But, you know, perceived in terms of society, the way society viewed him. I I remember when I uh, first took his case about 15 years ago, one of the lawyers that had worked on the case described him to me as evil incarnate. Mm. That's the way, before I ever met this man. This is a man that was on death row in two states and had life imprisonment in the third. Huge Mm. man. Um, And... You know, so going into representing him, I had all these images. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing is, through loving him, and he was a very tough man, very hardened, very tough, had uh, a very tough life. Um, but through reaching out in love, one of the things he that I, we talked to, uh, I talked to him about, um, he was moved to Tennessee, um, and he liked to paint. So we got him paints. And he would paint pictures. And there's another person in this story. There's a wonderful nun, a young sister named Sister Michaela, who came from Europe and wanted to visit Death Row. And she went out and reached out to a lot of the men, told them that God loved them. And I remember with Michael, she found out that he painted. And she said, I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to paint me uh, this picture of the Blessed Mother.
1: So she had a little picture with She had her? a little
0: picture of the Blessed Mother, and it was a, sort of a very European Blessed Mother with her hands folded and all these little sheep that represented people. And I'll never forget, because Michael uh, actually ended up painting the Blessed Mother for her. Now, can you get this image of the guy that was described as one of the most violent guys on death mm-hmm. row? N- I'm not describing him that way. That was the way other people.
1: It's a, uh, he's a tough guy, obviously. A, he,
0: he was a, a very a tough guy. And, you know, what was interesting is so Michael, picture painting this uh, uh, picture of the Blessed Mother, um, being a guy on death row, I mean that—that that is not your typical painting. The Blessed. One. I always wonder yeah. what the guards would be thinking when this <laughs> right. is going on. <laughs> uh, and I'll never forget because when he presented the picture, uh, the sheep that uh, that the, the picture had were all white sheep. Well, uh, Michael said, "You know, there weren't any black sheep." So when he painted the picture, he made sure there were lots of black sheep well, that, that were in, nice. in the yes. picture. Uh, saying, you know, she, she's the mother of the black sheep too. <laughs>
1: Isn't that amazing though? He's thinking through all this stuff.
0: No, it wasn't. And you know, again, that was the beginning. That was several years ago. Michael, um, just died of natural causes. Um, not that long ago,
1: but he's, he's on death row, right? So he's scheduled to be he executed. Was.
0: In fact, the interesting thing was, I mean, he was really literally at the end of, um, his appeals. Uh, and he knew he thought he was going to be executed, um, uh, next year. And what was interesting was that um, I got a call from a secretary that was not Catholic, wasn't anything, and said, hey, you know, Michael painted a painting for me that he wanted me to have, and he wanted it to be his last painting, the last thing that he did. And I said, well, what was it? And she sent it to me. It's a picture of the Blessed Mother at the tomb of Christ, Mm -hmm. and it says, it's titled, She Suffered Too. Wow. Now, it's one thing for a man to paint a painting of Mary because a nun asked her to, this wonderful saintly Mm -hmm. nun. It's another thing at the end of your life to think about what's going to be my last expression that I leave on this earth. And this guy that was considered, I've heard him called the most violent man on death row, the guy on death row in two states with life imprisonment in the third. You know, as a last act, his painting The Mother of Christ at the Tomb, entitling it, She Suffered Too. You know, what that shows us, um, uh, Deacon Jeff, is I'm not negating that there are people that have done bad things, but there is good, there is something, because God made us in his image and likeness, there is something good about every human being. The second thing that I think these stories we told today show Mm -hmm. us is that everybody responds to love. Everybody responds to love. And in the cases we've talked about today, it usually was somebody, whether it is a deacon that patiently visited somebody week after week after week for years, whether it's some nun from Europe that feels a, compas- a com- compelling desire to come and to visit men on death row, to give them pictures of the blessed mother or pictures of Christ or pictures of a crucifix to show them that they're lovable and that people love them. You know, I'll never forget uh, before he died, uh, Michaela came back from Europe and we spent the day at Riverbend. I left and I was told later, he went back to his cell and he cried like a baby. Hmm. This little beautiful nun, about a 35, 40 year old woman, talking to this very large man about the love and mercy of god mm. so i think that as catholics you know what we've got to remember is we are all children of god would we'll always tell people you know when we pray the lord's prayer and ask people to forgive us as we forgive those uh, who
1: trespass against us we're really actually praying that god forgive us no more than we are willing to forgive others. right and if we're not willing to forgive others then we're saying, God, don't forgive us. That's
0: right. And the people that Jesus condemned all the time were the Pharisees. Oh Lord, thank God, I'm not like this person over here. And I always tell people, yes, there are people that have done horrible things, and we do not want to track the worst thing that can uh, crime that can occur is is murder to kill someone else. But you know. A lot of times there are a lot of other horrible things that we all do, like I said earlier, with our tongue. We murder people with our tongues when we talk right. about people's character, when we, uh, we we hurt people, when we're selfish ourselves. And in the eyes of God, uh, a lot of times we may be more culpable for our sins than some of these other people that weren't given the great same benefit of grace and understanding uh, that we have been given. Well,
1: that's mm-hmm. beautiful. And you know, we tie this into our Catholic teaching on the death penalty, and I wonder... The wisdom you see where John Paul II would think that, well, you know, in this modern day and age and in developed nations, there should be no reason for it. Exactly.
0: It's like our teaching on war. You know, we can't say that war is always wrong. In every circumstance, because there, if, but it's only possible, it's only just if there's no other means to protect a society. Right. The same thing with the death penalty. In today's world, there's simply no need for it when we've got the avenue of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole to protect society and to offer the possibility of conversion. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: exactly. And that last one you just mentioned is really almost the most important. This, that opportunity for no matter who they are, no matter what you've done, I tell that to my kids all the time. They're not hardened criminals, but I don't want them to become hardened criminals, but I do want to tell them that no matter what you've done, son, you can always come to me, right? I will always forgive you. And just like the father always forgives us, we can always go to him no matter what the case. Robert... Uh, thank you so much for spending some time here talking about these beautiful stories in Death Row. Uh, thank you for bringing your top hat, reminding us that Scrooge is really a good guy. That's and right. he ends up being a good guy. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many gifts you've given us, especially the gift of unconditional love. Help us to see, to experience, to live, and to share this love as we encounter those who need it most, those who are in the darkest places where hope is hardest to find. Be our light in a world filled with darkness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com.